Chapter 18 of Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cal Taylor, Conestoga, Pennsylvania. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 8, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Tennessee Free. The appointment of Andrew Johnson as military governor of Tennessee and his assumption of active duty at Nashville in the spring of 1862 have been mentioned. The successive Union victories at Fort Donelson, Shiloh, Corinth, and Memphis seem to have completely paralyzed rebellion in the middle and western portions of the state. Various Union manifestations in the shape of public meetings and conventions occurring at Nashville, Columbia, Murfreesboro, Shelbyville, and perhaps other places, indicated that popular thought was turning towards a restoration of civil government under federal authority. This tendency, however, was arrested when in the autumn Bragg conceived and executed his daring invasion of Kentucky. Even after his forced retreat and the severe losses which the Union Army inflicted on him in the battles of Perryville in October, and of Murfreesboro on December 31, 1862, it was apparent that the federal military control in Tennessee was not yet permanently assured, and this uncertainty blighted such official efforts at Reconstruction as were set on foot. President Lincoln had hoped for more favorable results in this direction. He had written to Governor Johnson and to General Grant on October 21st a letter which was, in substance, a copy of which, on October 14, he sent to the military governor of Louisiana, requesting that an opportunity be given to the people of Tennessee to hold a popular election for members of Congress, state officers, and the legislature, his primary object being to awaken and crystallize dormant Union sentiment, with a view as much as possible to detach captured localities and generally insurrectionary states from their military support to the rebellion. Both Governor Johnson and General Grant complied with the President's request so far as to publish orders for holding an election on December 29th to fill vacancies in the 37th Congress for 9th and 10th Congressional Districts of Tennessee. But though the Union voters were alert and made an effort to choose representatives, the rebel General Forrest planned and executed an extensive raid on that day, which prevented the election being held. Neither was there any early improvement in a political situation. For six months after the Battle of Murfreesboro, General Rosecrans made no forward movement. This left the strong rebel army of Bragg planted near the center of the state, where its mere presence was sufficient to deter Unionists from openly declaring their loyalty, except such of the bolder leaders as has been out spoken against secession and rebellion through all the incidents and fluctuations of the war. From time to time they encouraged each other and kept alive what there was of latent loyalty by meetings, speeches, and resolutions. On the 1st of July, 1863, a Union convention met at Nashville, which had been called by a committee consisting of W.G. Brownlow, Horace Maynard, and 13 others. Forty counties were represented, though only partially by regularly chosen delegates, many of them simply enrolling their names as citizens. 
they took an oath of allegiance to the united states and in their resolutions pronounced void the various succession laws and ordinances they further declared it to be virtually important to elect a legislature and invited governor johnson to issue writs of election as soon as expedient but it was clear to all prudent observers that the time was not yet ripe for such a step general hurlbut writing from memphis under date of august eleven in answer to the president's letter of july thirty one about reconstruction in arkansas said as to tennessee i am satisfied that this state is ready by overwhelming majorities to repeal the act of secession establish a fair system of gradual emancipation and tender herself back to the union i have discouraged any action on this subject here until east tennessee is delivered when that is done so that her powerful voice may be heard let governor johnson call an election for members of the legislature and that legislature call a convention and in sixty days the work will be done it was not long before the favorable conjecture that outlined seemed to have arrived rosecrans at length moved forward forced bragg by slow degrees southward to the state line and on september nine marched unopposed into chattanooga coincident with this burnside at the head of the army of the ohio moved forward from kentucky into east tennessee entering knoxville on september four hard fighting was still to be done to hold these points but this also was successfully accomplished when burnside on november twenty nine repulsed longstreet and when by the battle of chattanooga on november twenty four the army of bragg at length suffered disastrous defeat meanwhile president lincoln not losing a moment of time after hearing of the occupation of chattanooga and studying his moves on the political chessboard as unremittingly as those on the military wrote to governor johnson under the date of september eleven all tennessee is now clear of armed insurrectionists you need not be reminded that it is the nick of time for reinaugurating a loyal state government not a moment should be lost you and the cooperating friends there can be better judge of the ways and means that can be judged by any here i only offer a few suggestions the reinauguration must not be such as to give control of the state and its representation in congress to the enemies of the union driving its friends there into political exile the whole struggle for tennessee will have been profitless to both state and nation if it so ends that governor johnson is put down and governor harris is put up it must not be so you must have it otherwise let the reconstruction be the work of such men only as can be trusted for the union exclude all others and trust that your government so organized will be recognized here as being the one of republican form to be guaranteed to the state and to be protected against invasion and domestic violence it is something on the question of time to remember that it cannot be known to who is next to occupy the position i now hold nor what he will do i see that you have declared in favor of emancipation in tennessee for which may god bless you get emancipation into your new state government constitution and there will be no such word as fail for your case 
the raising of colored troops i think will greatly help every wary the foregoing letter of general advice the president followed up a week later by sending the governor these additional documents investing him with full powers to execute the work he was requested to do herewith i send you a paper substantially the same as the one drawn by yourself and mentioned in your dispatch but slightly changed in two particulars first yours was so drawn that i authorized you to carry into effect the fourth section etc whereas i so modified as to authorize you to act as to require the united states to carry into effect that section secondly you had a clause committing me to some sort to the state constitution of tennessee which i feared might embarrass you in making a new constitution if you desire so i dropped that clause this letter contained an enclosure which further said in addition to the matters contained in the orders and instructions given you by the secretary of war you are hereby authorized to exercise such powers as may be necessary and proper to enable the loyal people of tennessee to present such a republican form of state government as will entitle the state to the guarantee of the united states therefore and to be protected under such state government by the united states against invasion and domestic violence all according to the fourth section of the fourth article of the constitution of the united states for a month or more after these letters were sent military operations about chattanooga created anxious suspense and before it was entirely believed by the full news following the battle of lookout mountain the president had issued his amnesty and reconstruction proclamation of december eighth eighteen sixty three the great pressure of business both at washington and nashville and the midwinter weather created still further delay about the middle of january however the president sent to tennessee as he had done to louisiana arkansas and elsewhere an agent with blank books and instructions to begin and push forward the work of enrolling citizens willing to take the oath prescribed in the amnesty and reconstruction proclamation governor johnson on his part was by this time also ready to begin reconstruction proceedings a large public meeting was held at nashville january twenty one at which he made a stirring speech using his afterwards famous phrase that treason must be made odious traitors must be punished and impoverished declaring slavery dead and that political reorganization must leave it altogether out of view the meeting passed resolutions recommending a constitutional convention and pledging their influence to elect only such men as delegates to said convention as shall be in favor of immediate and universal emancipation the governor however was resolved to build the new political structure with the greatest caution to this end on january twenty sixth eighteen sixty four he issued a proclamation ordering election on the first saturday in march only for county officers justices of the peace sheriffs constables trustees circuit and county court clerks registers and tax collectors it was not easy immediately to restore the good will which theoretically goes hand in hand with peace the passions of civil war were made doubly bitter by rebel persecutions of union men in east tennessee excited loyalists found fault with the amnesty proclamation because of its excessive 
liberality to repentant rebels and its placing them in the same category with men always loyal it is galling in the extreme wrote horace maynard to many of our best union men officers and soldiers in the army and others to be transmitted to prosperity as they express it on the same record with men reeking with treason the governor therefore framed the oath of allegiance in his own proclamation a little more stringently than that in the president's and in this variance naturally produced discussion and delay and brought new protest and appeals to the president in reply he telegraphed to maynard of course governor johnson will proceed with reorganization as the exigencies of the case appear to him to require i do not apprehend he will think it necessary to deviate from my views to any ruinous extent on one hasty reading i see no such deviation in his program which you send and to warren jordan in county elections you had better stand by governor johnson's plan otherwise you will have conflict conflict and confusion i have seen his plan still further explanation was given in another letter a week later your telegram of the twenty sixth instant asking for a copy of my dispatch to warren jordan esq at nashville press office has just been referred to me by governor johnson in my reply to mr jordan which was brief and hurried i intended to say that in the county and the state elections of tennessee the oath prescribed in the proclamation of governor johnson on the twenty sixth of january eighteen sixty four ordering an election in tennessee on the first saturday in march next is entirely satisfactory to me as a test of loyalty of all persons proposing or offering to vote in said election and coming from him would better be observed than followed there is no conflict between the oath of amnesty and my proclamation of eighth december eighteen sixty three and that prescribed by governor johnson in his proclamation of the twenty sixth ultimo no person who has taken the oath of amnesty of eighth december eighteen sixty three and obtained a pardon thereby and who intends to observe the same in good faith should have any objection to taking that prescribed by governor johnson as a test of loyalty i have seen and examined governor johnson's proclamation and am entirely satisfied with his plan which is to restore the state government and place it under the control of citizens truly loyal to the government of the united states the proposed election was duly held such returns of this election of march five as have become public and accessible are so meagre that they afford no sufficient data for general historical conclusions doubtless the event was influential in confirming and renewing the faith of loyalists but probably its larger result was drawing the attention of repentant rebels to the chances it offered to rehabilitate themselves and their political rights through the president's proclamation of amnesty we may infer that the incident created much commitment and inquire in this particular for on the twenty sixth of march president lincoln issued a supplementary proclamation explaining and defining that of the previous eighth of december to the extent of excluding from its provisions prisoners of war in confinement or on parole or prisoners held for other offences it is evident that the success of the county elections in march was not such as to prompt an immediate popular movement towards full state reconstruction 
as been hoped by Governor Johnson and the President. The question sank into abeyance until again prompted by the irrepressible Union leaders of East Tennessee. The conventions held in that region in the early part of 1861, which protested so energetically against secession, seemed to have kept their organization alive, to a certain extent, by a sort of permanent committee. This committee appears to have assembled a convention at Knoxville in April or May 1864 to discuss Reconstruction. It would seem that the meeting was divided into sentiment over the slavery question and made two reports, one favoring the Crittenden resolution, the other demanding emancipation, and this antagonism probably re prevented further action, for we will next find a call signed by Brownlow and others for a new convention, which was held in Nashville on September 5, 1864. Some 40 or 50 counties were again represented, but as before, many of them by irregular or volunteer delegates. Nevertheless, they held a spirited meeting and outlined a comprehensive program. They recommended the election of a constitutional convention and the abolition of slavery in the state, and also made provisions for taking part in the approaching presidential election. This program was, however, only partially carried out. On September 30, Governor Johnson issued his proclamation for holding the presidential election, and the Union voters cast their ballots for electors of president and vice president, so far as the unsettled condition of military operations permitted. On September 30, Governor Johnson issued his proclamation for holding the presidential election, and the Union voters cast their ballots for electors of president and vice presidents, so far as the unsettled condition of military operations permitted. It does not appear that at the election of November 1864, any attempt was made to choose a governor or legislature or constitutional convention for Tennessee, but the convention which met in July constituted an executive committee consisting of five members for each division of the state. This executive committee, after the presidential election was over, issued calls for a state convention to meet in Nashville on December 19, 1864. The people meet, said the call, to take such steps as wisdom may direct to restore the state of Tennessee to its once honored status in the great national union. If you cannot meet in your counties, come upon your own personal responsibility. It is the assembling of union men for the restoration of their own commonwealth to life and a career of success. It turned out that the contemplated meeting could not take place on a day designated because of the advance of the rebel army under Hood upon Nashville, and a meeting was therefore postponed to January 9, 1865. By that time, the Battle of Nashville had once more freed Tennessee from hostile occupation and the appointed state convention assembled. Fifty-eight counties and some regiments were represented by about 467 delegates who deliberated six days. The main act of the convention was in the following words. We, the people of the state of Tennessee and of the United States of America, in convention assembled, do propound the following alterations and amendments to the Constitution, which, when ratified, by the sovereign loyal people 
shall be and constitute a part of the permanent constitution of the state of tennessee article one section one that slavery and involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted are hereby forever abolished and prohibited throughout the state section two the legislature shall make no law recognizing the right of property in man the schedule then went on to provide that the convention agreement and military league entered into by the commissioners of the state of tennessee and the commissioners of the so-called confederate states of america made may seventh eighteen sixty one and on the same day ratified and confirmed by the legislature was an act of treason and usurpation unconstitutional null and void the schedule also repudiated the rebel debt and declared void all laws ordinances resolution and acts under the usurped secession government of tennessee and provided further that the proposed amendments to the constitution and the schedule thereto be submitted to the people at the ballot box on the twenty-second day of february next and that upon the adoption thereof by the people an election shall be held on the fourth day of march next for governor and members of the legislature the latter to be voted for by general ticket upon the basis prescribed in the act apportioning representation in the state passed on the nineteenth of february eighteen fifty two to assemble at the capitol on the first monday in april next said officers to continue in office until their successors shall be elected and qualified under the regular biennial election of eighteen sixty seven it is needless to describe in detail the further progress of reconstruction proceedings in tennessee on february twenty fifth governor johnson proclaimed that the election had been held and the amendments to the constitution adopted on february twenty two the election of william g brownlow as governor and of a union legislature followed on the fourth of march on the third of april the legislature met at nashville and in a few days thereafter the governor was inaugurated and a general civil government formally begun among the early acts of the legislature was one to ratify the thirteenth amendment to the constitution of the united states and in due time united states senators were elected and provisions made for choosing members of congress who were regularly elected by the people in the following august end of chapter eighteen